morning and God bless. I'm Dominique DePrima. This show is First Things First, my first thing today and every day, giving thanks, giving praises, asking for blessings from God, asking for the blessings of the ancestors and the elders and getting it going. Good morning. Thank you for doing what the show name says, which is making this your first spot, your first stop of the day. So this is what we do around here. Usually, hour one, we look local. Hour two, we go national, international, beyond with those freestyle phones. And the third hour, we do a deep dive with a person or persons of interest. And as you know, everything's topsy-turvy because it's election season. But we're kind of on point. We're doing local. Uh, Then we're going to go... National, international, and beyond, we will have one candidate running to be a Superior Court judge joining us um, in the second hour for seat 97. We'll hear from Sharon Ransom. And then hour three, we are doing a deep dive. Uh, Dr. Anthony Browder will be my guest. He is a world-renowned scholar and um, expert on the motherland. He's in town, so we will hear from him. And it's, so it's going to be on, on, on. Now, I want to highlight um, that next Monday at uh, the second hour, we will be taking all comers once again. Everybody, any candidate can call in and get their five minutes of fame uh, before the election. Many of you will be, um, you know, will be booked for your own hour, half hour, whatever it is. But um, we really want to <clears throat> give, you know, folks in the races that we're not covering the opportunity to be on this platform. All of those are gathered for you at kbla1580.com. So you could tap in, listen, they're, um, they're sorted by the different races. So if you want to just listen to seat 97 judges, they're all together. If you just want to listen to Senate district 35, you can do that. And that is why we call ourselves your election information station. Being joined by a partner in politics this morning. She's a producer. Uh, she is. Uh, she she says she's got a passion for utilizing sense memory to transform environments that spark cross cultural connection and foster continued conversation. She's originally from Oakland, and she works to preserve the rich tradition of the Black Arts Movement bringing sociopolitical dialogue to her work. Uh, She was creative director and one of the founders of something called Sister Circle Black Women in Tech, which is an international solidarity organization focused on providing safe spaces and professional development for black women in technology. She's an artist and a maker by nature, and she's passionate about the art of fabrication, utilizing multiple techniques to create pieces centered around the transformation of materials and environmental sustainability. She's produced events for people like Airbnb, well, companies, I guess they're not people, Um, Instagram, Slack, Pinterest, Refinery29, Square, and more. And uh, she is also my beloved bonus daughter, Isa Cespedes. Good morning. Good morning, Dominique. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you, thank you. Pleasure to be here. This <laughs> Aren't you glad I, I only call you every once in a while, make you wake up and get on the show <laughs> with me? <laughs> you know, brings me back to my old baker days, so it's it's all good. <laughs> yeah, I think um, 
I think you're talking about when you used to literally bake bread, like uh, yes, when <laughs> yeah. I literally used to bake bread. Yes, when I literally used to bake bread and other French pastries. Um, yes, a, a profession for the young, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd be baking uh, radio shows, and uh, <laughs> somehow, somehow, uh, the uh, the Most High has given me the opportunity to continue, even though I'm no longer technically young uh, anyway oh. but um look we yes. we started this conversation because of all the brouhaha around this downtown building um and it's called Oceanwide Plaza it's downtown LA it's covered with graffiti art mhm this has become a yes. there's been a lot of pearl clutching um here in LA about um this building and it's um it is the um, these Chinese developers who bought this building, and then I guess it's been vacant since 2019. It was a billion-dollar development. Uh, they ran out of money for the project. It was supposed to be condos and a luxury shopping mall, and um, now it's covered with graffiti. What it you know, which has been routinely called vandalism. I myself haven't had a chance to talk about this, but I've been thinking about it a lot. So tell me how this came uh, to your attention and, and how would you describe it? Um, well, I think one of the, the things that's, you know, missing in my, my absolutely verbose uh, antiquated bio is my love of graffiti and street art in general um, and how deep that goes and how much that has actually influenced me as an artist and I think influences um, many and the majority of, of uh, contemporary artists coming out of the United States and for sure any sort of designer or typographer who works with lettering. Um, you know, I view uh, much of graffiti as a, as a version of our modern hieroglyphs um, extended in, into the world. And part of what uh, drew my attention to this was actually seeing it through the art world and seeing all of the craze and um, excitement that was coming out of people seeing this building and seeing what these writers, um, as we like to call them, um, as folks call themselves, um, that was, was really drawing attention to downtown LA and was drawing attention to this building. Um, you know, ironically, um, it sits in the heart of what's called the, the downtown artist district. And um, having lived in L.A. at one point in time and lived in L.A. before the major gentrification efforts of, of downtown L.A. or revitalization, depending on where which seat you sit in, um, part of the selling point for downtown L.A. and the selling point for bringing these condos and what makes the artist district the artist district is actually the legacy and, and history of street art um, and graffiti art that exists there. Um, and so although this is not technically a legal art piece, um, I do find it very ironic that the clutching of pearls has suddenly come at this, what I view as a uh, spontaneous art installation um, that has also happened to highlight a lot of the uh, issues in um, Los Angeles politics in terms of why did this building sit vacant for so many years? Yeah, there's so many different issues there, Isa. I think 
um, when I, I had heard all the brouhaha and I'm looking at the building as I'm driving by, I'm not, you know, looking at it on Instagram. I'm just looking at it mm-hmm. as I'm driving by. And then I, I finally saw the photos of it and I was like, wow, this is actually pretty beautiful. Now I will say coming from the Bay area, as you do, and I do coming to LA, mm-hmm. there's a different orientation around graffiti, spray can art or street art, uh, different people call it here it's much more affiliated with gangs and just tagging um and in in people's minds at least if not in the minds of artists i mean because there is legit uh gang spray can uh tagging going on that you know that is marking territories and crossing out people's names and this all this um other culture that's affiliated with it i don't think angelinos really focus on most angelinos really focus on spray can art or graffiti as legit art the way they might do in the bay area or on the east coast yeah i i would certainly agree and and it's actually interesting that you'd bring up the the association with gang tags or um you know sets sort of making their mark um even that particular style of writing um or tagging actually has, if you, over time, has influenced much of popular culture and typography, and you can see it, that same style gets duplicated for advertisement. Yeah, right? and no so it's doubt. very interesting that that's part of the L.A. aesthetic, I mean, and that gets exported out <laughs> to the rest <laughs> of the world. <laughs> and so it's just done perhaps by people, um, oftentimes there are a lot of people that used to be um, considered vandals or illegal artists or may have been gang members at one point in time who actually ended up going to art school at some point in time or found their ways into getting jobs doing um, that kind of work professionally. So it's, 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 pretty, um, it's pretty reductive to, for folks to look at this building and then immediately think that this is all just gang art, particularly because the style of art that is of writing that are on these buildings are actually not the style of gang writing at yeah, all. Yeah, I mean, um, it's, visually. yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's very different. Um, and so what we're seeing right now is actually um, was mainly inspired by something that just happened um, in Miami in December as part of Art Basel, which is a huge art uh, convention festival um, you know, a space that, um, party that gets created in Miami where artists internationally from all over the world come to discuss contemporary art and all that stuff. And, um, have a good time. And there was actually artists, um, there was a building that was set to be demolished at the hospital that, um, folks got together. And I'm not exactly sure if the, the city of Miami sanctioned it, but they sure that, uh, are not, um, as up in arms about it, but we'll, you can find this building online. It was a hospital and, and graffiti artists from everywhere internationally covered multiple floors of this building. And, um, you know, thankfully they were able to do it safely and paint during the day and organize it. And um, it has drawn major attention to the city of Miami. It has brought, um, a, you know, attention to Art Basel. It, they did it in the area of Wynwood, which um, arguably could be similar to downtown LA in terms of a place that was considered um, mm, sort 
sort of on the the edges or, um, you know, what they were trying to turn this sort of industrial grime into a mix of luxury and and um, proximity to to outsider art. Um, and it's done really well. And so um, what I have my understanding from some of the artists in L.A., um, some of the writers in L.A. was that they drew inspiration from what happened in Miami. And um, when it was apparent that this building had been vacant for a very long time, for multiple years, and was not being properly secured. And um, people were able to find a way in and, and start painting it. It sort of just created this, you know, inspiring explosion of, of color all over downtown, which um, is absolutely beautiful in my opinion, but I, I can understand that for folks who are perhaps unfamiliar with the art firm, they may find that um, like what the motivation for someone to want to climb to the 27th floor of a building to put a word or their name, like what, what would draw them to do that? I mean, they're climbing up all those stairs. They're sneaking in, they're carrying the spray cans with them. This isn't just someone casually walking by. (laughs) No, no, this takes lots of preparation and, um, and, and courage. I mean, you know, it is, it is dangerous. So I think, you know, really part of, I think what is more important to pay attention to is actually the safety of these writers. I don't think we should be arresting these writers. I don't think that the city of LA should be wasting taxpayer dollars to have police sit outside of a building that hasn't been in use. And um, particularly, you know, to me, the real crime is the building sitting empty in a city that is dealing with a major homelessness crisis yeah, in an area blocks away from major homeless encampment. I mean, honestly, that's that that was the part I didn't get. Why are we over here complaining about the artwork here when there's literally hundreds of apartments that are that could be completed uh, sitting vacant um, while people are unhoused? That, to me, is the scandal. The scandal doesn't have anything to do with the graffiti or, or not much to do with the graffiti. I guess, the, you know, the controversy from the city perspective is why the development company doesn't have security. The security company says they've stopped getting paid. You're right. LAPD has already arrested four um, artists, uh, and they could be looking at some pretty serious charges. Uh, the... There's a, some downtown association uh, that has put out a statement um, saying, you know, that they condemn this as blight. Um, yeah, I guess they're looking at jail time, man fines. It, it, to me, it's just mind boggling. I mean, and that's and it's and really, when you think about it, you know, I mean, I know some people try to make the argument that. Um, that graffiti harms people, but I don't actually see um, the harm that these individuals committed by um, making use of a space that's not being used and hasn't been used for years. And to my knowledge and understanding, there are still no plans in place to utilize that building. Yeah, the developers no. have not come back and said that they're planning to do anything to that building in the near future. So to me, the real crime is actually utilizing all of those building materials 
taking all of those, extracting all of those metals from the earth in order to build the giant building, erecting the big empty building and putting it in the face of people who are struggling to get by check to check in LA. Like I, I think that the city of LA and LAPD has far more important things to pay attention to than sitting and acting as private security for an empty building yeah. that the politicians didn't seem that concerned about or downtown LA, these, whoever this organization is of NIMBYs, um, they the Central City Association. Yeah, it's called the, the Central, Central City, city Association, association of Los Angeles. They say they're disturbed by images of vandalism. And they're calling on the city to address this blighted property before it becomes a further nuisance. Or you can make it into a museum where unhoused people get to live. I'm just saying. Uh, we, uh, <laughs> we're we continuing. I mean, our, or at least. Go ahead. Yes, or at least let it, or at least let the project. I mean, you know, to me is I've also heard conversations about putting pressure on these people to on this company to clean up the building in a set amount of time. That also seems like a waste of resources. It doesn't sound like the company is going to do it. If the L.A. if the city does it in place of the company, that's more taxpayer dollars to clean this thing up. And that whole trope about graffiti equaling blight is, you know, that was started by Giuliani in the 90s in New York and this idea of broken windows and this that graffiti automatically means um, blight. But if you go down to Melrose Avenue, those alleys down on Melrose that have been um, stewarded by um, CBS crew are part of what makes Melrose cool. Yeah, um, and yeah. Those are hold that thought, Isa. And that's what draws people there. Yeah, that's that's a great point. Uh, we'll continue this conversation about some local items and, and you know, wanted to get an artist's view on this huge, bu- um, actually it's a complex of buildings, but um, the one main building that is <laughs> really uh, quite something to see. It's KBLA Talk 1580. She's reclaiming her time on KBLA Talk 1580. More First Things First with Dominique DePrima when we come forward. Your ancestors' favorite radio station, radio station, and your favorite morning show host. Let's get back to Dominique DePrima right now. Right now, oh, right now I'm talking with Issa Cespedes. Um, she is an artist, a maker, and a producer, among other things. So, um, yeah, to your point, the uh, apparently now there are people who are paragliding off the building. This is like something that's... Um, becoming popular on social media, apparently, um, going up to the graffiti towers and jumping down. And now the mayor is saying that this is another reason why they're going to have to put up fencing and put the LAPD down there because she says she's worried that tragedy will take place if the place isn't boarded up quickly, new fences are going up. And she says the owner should reimburse the city for every dime, um, again, doesn't seem like the point. I mean, I understand you don't want people paragliding off this building and then they could sue the city of L.A. or whatever if they die or become disabled. But again, we're, you know, can we take that building by eminent domain and make it into housing for the unhoused? To me, if you're being irresponsible like that, you're not finishing a project. It's creating a hazard. Can't we seize it? And, and get hundreds of apartments for the unhoused or truly affordable housing? 
I mean, I think that's a great point. And, and it's interesting you'd bring that up because as um, I was thinking about this last night after our, our quick check-in, um, I, it brought me back to a time many years ago when I was in Amsterdam and um, spent some time um, there visiting a friend and learning about um, a little bit about how the squat scene works out there. Um, and, and part of what happened or part of what was instituted in Holland was essentially that idea of that if an individual owns a building, um, particularly an industrial building for a period of time and does absolutely nothing with it, um, the argument can be made for for using it as public domain or saying, hey, you have X amount of time to do something with this building. You 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 built it, you spent the the money on it, and you either as you know, as the the contractor or owner of said building, you either have to make the building functional or we're gonna take it away or give it to these other people who have decided that they want to live here and they want to make something out of this building. Right. And mind you, Amsterdam's a much smaller city than than Los Angeles and and not implying that the exact same thing could be done here. But to me the real crime is is building a building and leaving it behind and um and nobody seemed to notice any of it or seemed to care until these graffiti artists came and actually reminded those individuals living in downtown about where they're at i mean they moved to downtown la like that that is the home of of much street art and the majority of those legal murals that they love so much were actually commissioned by graffiti artists and were commissioned by graffiti artists who have made transitions into being considered legitimate artists like Shepard Fairey or JR or, you know, individuals who um, have created a more palatable sheen for themselves over time. And, and, and um, so it's, it's, you know, I mean, downtown LA just had the Basquiat exhibit not too long ago, who is one of the most, you know, prolific black modern um, painters who was a graffiti artist and across the street was a key pairing exhibit at the Broad, who was also a graffiti artist who's painting, both of whom paintings sell now for millions of dollars. Um, I understand the city's concern about not wanting people paragliding off of the building and um, <laughs> causing harm or, or, you know, I wouldn't want to see someone fall from a building doing something of that nature, but um you know, I go back to how do we spend the city's money appropriately? Um, and I do think that perhaps there there is a way um, to meet in the middle here, um, particularly because if these developers, to my understanding about these developers, they left the building because they ran out of money. Yep. These developers have also done the same thing in other cities like San Francisco. And um, if they don't have any money, how are they going to come up with the money to clean all of that graffiti? Because that's a very expensive project. Yeah. We've got news, traffic, and sports right here. Then we'll continue this conversation. You're invited in. 800-920-1580. We are unapologetically progressive. KBLA Talk 1580. More of First Things First with Dominique DePrima when we come forward. Thanks for waking up with Dominique DePrima on KBLA Talk 1580. I do appreciate you. Uh, we're talking right now with uh, Isa Cespedes, and um, you know she's an artist, a maker, a designer, and, and more. And just a really inf- 
interesting conversation about these properties. It's actually three towers um, in downtown Los Angeles, right across from the crypto.com, aka Staples Center, um, right by the convention center. The developer, uh, Oceanwide Plaza's Kellison RTKL, and apparently they say that they've spent $1.1 billion. Uh, and they need another 1.2 to finish it, which probably means more like 2 billion. But from what I'm seeing, um, reading about it, there's close to a thousand, let's see, 164 condos, 184 rooms, hotel, and 500 um, uh, apartments. So that's close to a thousand units in these three towers, right? They're not finished, but it seems to me that that's a lot of housing stock that we could use um, here in the city of Los Angeles. And I think about individual homeowners. Like if you don't, if you're a mom and pop apartment building owner and you're not up to code, what you would, what, how quickly this city would shut you down. Or if you're just a regular resident, right? Homeowner. And you don't, uh, you don't, respond to code violations and fix them up. They're not just going to let you slide for five years and leave your unfinished building uh, just out there, you know, for whatever uh, to happen to it. That's not what happens. So why do we give corporations such a wide berth when individuals, um, you know, are held actually responsible and accountable? It doesn't make any sense. No, it doesn't. And I think actually what what a lot of the pearl clutching and reaction really, or, or a response by city officials, I think is, is really just a, a bit of, of fear from being that the graffiti artists called them out. I mean, I don't think that was the intention <laughs> of these graffiti artists, but that's what they just did. They just highlighted a problem that's, um, I'm sure there are other buildings in downtown LA that are probably dealing with the same issue, much like there are other buildings in other major cities in the United States that are probably sitting empty or close to empty with these similar issues. And um, if the developer's out of money, I mean, $2 billion, that's not like pocket change. That's not like, oh, let me just go call the homie real quick and yeah. get $2 billion to finish the building. I mean, to me, it sounds like they're not going to suddenly magically come up with that building with that money. So what happens to this space over right. time? And they're being sued by contractors that they haven't paid. And it's caught up in the geopolitical uh, situation between Ch China and the U.S., where I guess China's cracking down on credit because they don't want all that capital going out of the country. Uh, so it doesn't sound like they're going to be able to get it done. In fact, it's supposedly up for sale now. Um, but <laughs> apparently no one's buying. Would you like to buy a half-finished building in downtown Los Angeles? Um, that's why. And, and, you know, shout out to um, Gustavo Arellano of the LA Times who did call it street art. Other than that, the coverage that I see is much more loving from the East Coast than from here. Um, although there is a professor quoted in the Washington Post um, who says that, you know, this is... Uh, this is an amazing um, piece of art. Um, and just saying that... I mean, in... Yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say that in the art world, um, outside of this sort of uh, in smaller conversation within L.A., this is being called, you know, a historical event. This is one of the most historical graffiti public-facing installations that has ever happened. And if L.A. city officials were actually thinking a little bit with a little bit more clarity or a little bit lean, more leniency towards the artistic nature of this, 
they would actually be able to recognize that this is some of the best publicity L.A. artistically and the arts district could have asked for. Yeah, but you know what, if you look at, of course, conservative uh, media and some of our conservative, um, you know, like homeowner associations and, and press and activists here, they see it as a symbol of everything wrong with L.A. The, the building's not finished. <clears throat> it's covered with what they'll characterize as, as plight. Um, and, you know, and, and, and it, there's all this housing left undone. I mean, they have they, the narrative that's being said is just the opposite of what you're saying. Yes, and, and I, I will agree with one part of that narrative, which is the building itself is a symbol of, without the graffiti, the graffiti isn't what made it what is wrong with Los Angeles. The building was already a symbol of what is wrong with Los Angeles because it sat there for years empty. And the graffiti artists just sort of highlighted it with their colors, but... The fact is, is that we're also lucky that something worse didn't actually happen in that building or to that building, considering that it's been empty, considering that there are people who need places to live. We're lucky that a group of people didn't just decide to take it over and start squatting it, who were individuals who were, you know, perhaps a bit more violent than we'd care for. I mean, there's, you know, that to me, what's wrong with L.A. is that we're focusing on arresting graffiti artists as opposed to focusing on fixing a major homelessness problem or the fact that we have individuals who are working full-time jobs who are living in their cars not too far from these buildings. It, that, to me, is the real symbol of what's wrong with Los Angeles. And um, the folks who look at it and go, okay, the graffiti is what let me know that something happened, but you weren't aware of this mm-hmm. beforehand, is um, rather short-sighted and... Um, to me, also just adds to the sort of undercurrents of racism and classism, because the fact is the majority of graffiti artists and writers are, you know, are folks of color, are people living on the margins, are people who um, maybe have a lot of artistic talent but didn't have the, the support or network or funds to channel that into a different form of, of art making, Um you know, Angelinos, like to the city officials, these are your constituents. Every single one of those names, those are those are people who live, work, operate, <laughs> are part of L.A. Uh, so it's it's a Pitzer College professor, Susan Phillips, uh, quoted here in the Washington Post. She's the author of a book called The City Beneath, A Century of Los Angeles Graffiti. Um, and she says this, this is perhaps the most legendary roll call in the history of Los Angeles. Um, <laughs> I would agree. <laughs> I haven't seen her quoted anywhere in our local papers, I would, I would point out. Um, and then, you know, the, there's, a, contrary to what I just said, um, also quoted here in the, in the post, is this guy named Roger Gassman, who I guess is a curator and, and graffiti historian. And he says that there's been a boom in, in street art, uh, for the past few years that uh, harkens back to the 1990s. Um, and and that, you know, his take is that that building shows that actually the graffiti art movement, the street art movement, is uh, more vibrant than ever. I would agree with that. Um, and, uh, you know, part of what we're also looking at is that these come you know, art like graffiti comes out of the movement of hip hop, which comes out of individuals, you know, trying to um, 
compost oppression into something more beautiful and to take the the limited resources that they have or take what you know what the bits that they have in front of them and turn it into something amazing to try to make their lives feel more enriched but it's also um it is vandalism and and that to a degree is is part of the point of of kind of highlighting this energy or rage or um you know the disheartening nature of of the climate that we're living in these days i mean times are rough and hard and people are trying to figure out how to navigate um these incredibly pressurized um times that we're living in and um this is a form of expression this is um and that's part of it and i i would certainly agree agree that street art or graffiti has um is having a bit of a of a renaissance right now for sure (laughs) um i think i sent you an article this morning about how there's a new poll out that people think uh, the california is going to hell in a handbasket the california is Mm -hmm. uh you know is is just a, a whole mess uh, and they think that it's not a good place to live. It's going downhill. It's not a good place to raise children. I, I I put it in this context because I think talking about this building and how it's become a symbol, you know, what one person sees is blight, what another person sees is art. And when I saw this polling about California and our supposed, you know, uh, well, it's in the LA Times, Golden State loses luster as half of Americans say California is in decline. But most of those people are not people who live here. <laughs> so how y'all know? Like, what are you even talking about? Fine, stay where you are. We good. Um, anyway, uh, yeah. So uh, that, I, I, maybe we'll touch on that a little bit. You live in Cali. I live in Cali. Um, it, it yeah. actually, I think almost everybody lives in Los Angeles, even if they're supposedly, if their whole brand is like, I'm from Kentucky, but, but I have a mansion in the Hollywood Hills. It's KBLA Talk 1580. <laughs> KBLA Talk 1580 is an intervention. When we come forward, includes you. KBLA Talk 1580, turning pain into power. power. We're not for everybody, but we're for everybody. You're listening to KBLA Talk 1580. Okay, well, you know what? Before we pivot here a little bit, I just I just wanted to address this thing because it's like, uh, you know, the story about the, the, you know, persons who are blind trying to describe what an elephant looks like, right? <laughs> that old, that old... A fable when talking about mm-hmm. California. But before we pivot to that, I just want to give you the opportunity to say what whatever you didn't say yet about that, because I think you've got a really important and unique, uh, you know, perspective um, as an artist, as a millennial, as an activist, and as a person who actually spent a lot of time in both the Bay Area and San Francisco living uh, about this piece. So I just wanted to make sure you, uh, you know, had a moment to say and <laughs> to land and say whatever it was that you really wanted to say. And I want to put it in context. Your uh, step grandfather or your bonus grandfather is in the Pan-African Film Festival this weekend. There's, there's a there's a documentary called Fight Sing, Fight Sing. Um, you know, mixed reviews from this uh, daughter of Amiri Baraka, mm-hmm. although definitely worth seeing. Um 
And he's the father of the black arts movement. So I think it's so funny that it's somehow passed on uh, <laughs> through, through the uh, bonus granddaughter uh, and that you would be speaking out for the you know, black arts and BIPOC arts movement. Um, I'm sure it's making him smile uh, from the other side, from the land of the ancestors. <laughs> oh, well, thank you for that, Dominique. And um, yeah, I think that, that that is a rich legacy around, you know, at the heart of it, at looking at our artistic traditions um, and and setting value to that and and really glorifying the beauty of what is the the multitude and, and fat, multifaceted nature of the black experience and um graffiti is part of it because you know graffiti is an extension of of um writing on walls and drawing pictures on walls which is something that is super ancient that um dates back you know millennia right and and, and um that um, that transformation to its modern incarnation using spray cans and, and what have you, I understand that people don't, um, not everybody finds it all beautiful. I don't think every single tag, you know, every single piece, because I'm not even going to call those tags. Um, they're, they're actual pieces. Those, those words took time. They're, they're in full color. They were thought out. They're not just little scribes. Um, and they are, are symbols of, of what, um, young people, what, what people are thinking about. Um, and they, they are manifestations of, um, of, yeah, of, of a way of telling a story and it may not look like a linear story, but it is that building does tell a story at this moment. Um, you know, I think that really, I do not believe that those individuals who've been arrested should be charged with any crimes whatsoever. I think if anyone should be charged with crimes, it should be um, the the contractors. And even that, you know, it should be put on pressure rather than incarceration, but put pressure on them to do something with the building or lose rights to said building. Um, and, you know, I think it's people should be very cautious about putting pressure on the city to immediately clean this up because that is going to cost a lot of money. And that money, in my estimation, is probably going to come from the taxpayers and not um, these developers who have dipped on this building. Um, and I think that Angelinos have far more important things to spend their tax dollars on. Um, and I, I put the question, I posed the question to the individuals living on, in downtown, what is more a symbol of blight? Individuals living in tents, unhoused, without adequate resources and support, or um, a building with some color on it? <laughs> All right, when we come forward, we'll get some final thoughts uh, from Isa Cespedes. And it's not too late for you to join if you want. 800-920-1580. KBLA Talk 1580. She's reclaiming her time on KBLA Talk 1580. More First Things First with Dominic DePrima when we come forward. We're not for everybody, but we're for everybody. You're listening to KBLA Talk 1580. <laughs> and I'm talking with Issa Cespedes. Just a couple uh, minutes here. So, um, yeah, I just, you know, when I, when I think about this polling about California, it also reminds me of so many other things right now that are going on with the 
you know, polarization of the country where it's, it's kind of bizarre to me. It's like people don't even care if what they believe is true or not. <laughs> they just want to believe it. And I think about things like, you know, whether or not you think Biden has dementia or you think Trump has dementia. They're both old. Old people forget stuff. It's just what it is. You know what I mean? It doesn't necessarily mean they're gone. Um, half of uh, Republicans think they, they, this is not even a good place to visit, apparently. Um, and yet everyone comes here to live and visit. They think our quality of life is worse here or the same as in other states. That's just verifiably untrue. But they want to believe that. And um, it baffles my mind because you don't even want to know where, how you could really live. You just want to think a thing. Anyway, hand you the mic. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, having lived in in L.A. for years and lived in the Bay Area, and I definitely feel very tied to California. um, You know, I think California has always been a symbol for something. Uh, yeah. um, and oftentimes that symbol is not necessarily the reality. I mean, you know, one can say there are multiple Los Angeles and <laughs> there's the one that gets, you know, there's the one that gets pumped out to the media. And then there's the actual experience of, of living in LA. Um, and, you know, we are living in a time of sound bites and short attention spans and individuals who want somebody else to like digest their thoughts for them and just kind of, give it spoon feed them information. And, and I think it's really sad because um, I just see California as, as a symbol of um, it's, it's really just an example of what's happening across the country. I mean, I personally would say that living in Tennessee is not a safe place for me to go as an individual, right. given, um, yeah. <laughs> given the fact that I'm black, et cetera, you know, all of these things. Right. Um, so I think it's all perspective, perhaps for, yes, for a particular type of Republican or right-wing conspiratorial theorist. Maybe yeah. parts of California aren't the place for you to be. I think it's a very large state. There are parts in <laughs> no between doubt. L.A. and San Francisco that resemble Tennessee. No doubt. Yeah, I call it a bipolar state. Isa, we got news, traffic, and sports. Thank you so much for being with me this morning. Thank you so much for this conversation.